When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you, that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. 
you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. We've been on a journey through the book of Acts, and we've arrived at the middle of the book, a crucial chapter, chapter 15. We spoke on this chapter last week in a talk entitled, Beware of Judaizing. The church began with God's chosen people, the children of Abraham, who had been given the law of Moses. The law of Moses was how they related to God. The law of Moses pointed to a sacrificial system by which their sins could be atoned for every year. And the law of Moses pointed towards a Messiah that would come and redeem them. That Messiah was Jesus. And he came and established the church after dying for our sins and rising from the dead. He established his church, ascended back to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, and the church began in Jerusalem. After eight or nine or ten years, Gentiles began to become believers. So now the Jewish church is now a Jewish and Gentile church. Last Sunday we spoke on this text on what happened as a result of this and how we are blessed by that. And today we're going to speak on an extreme that happened after a century or so later, an extreme that began to take place in the church where the exact opposite began to happen. Instead of Gentiles being required to become Jews, which Acts 15 put a stop to that, Jews began to be required to become Gentiles. So back to our message from last week, just a brief review. In verse 1, it says, Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised, ouch, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So they're taking away the joy of Gentile believers like bait and switch. Oh, you're saved now? Well, wait a minute, here's more for you. They didn't stop there. Verse 5, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believe rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, this was huge. They didn't just stop at circumcision. They wanted to include all 613 laws of Moses that they would have to abide by. Read these sometime. We have copies here. If you'd like a copy on 11 by 17, both sides, triple column, small font, you can take them home. Each law is reduced down to one phrase that voices the gist of the law. So this was huge. And Paul and Barnabas, who had already planted some Gentile churches in the part of the world now known as Turkey, were highly upset by this. So they went to the source of where these troublemakers had come from, to the original church and its leaders in Jerusalem, which was no small feat. It was 400 miles away. Can you imagine walking that? Uh, I was in a walkathon once for missions and walked 20 miles. It was exhausting. Thank God the next year our denomination got a revelation. <laughs> the metric system. 20 kilometers, much easier. It's like 12 miles anyway. So Peter responded at this meeting that they had convened in Jerusalem. He said, God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Five chapters earlier, the first Gentiles became filled with the Spirit while Peter was preaching the gospel. He goes on, and God made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. 
just like we're purifying. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. This actually was a return, the fulfilling of the law by Jesus was a return to the faith of Abraham, their father. Abraham believed in one God. Abraham believed in the miraculous birth of his seed. Remember Isaac, that was a miracle. He believed that there was coming a seed that would bless the nations of the world, that was Jesus. He believed in the resurrection of his seed when he was ready to obey God by offering his son as a sacrifice. And he believed in the substitution of his seed when he told his son who asked him, Dad, where's the sacrifice? He says, Son, God will provide for himself a sacrifice. So Abraham, in a sense, believed the gospel and he was declared to be righteous by God. We are saved, declared to be righteous the same way. We believe in the miraculous conception of God's seed. We believe in the sacrifice of his seed and the providing of the sacrifice for us and the resurrection of his seed. Abraham believed that God was able to raise Isaac up if he had to go through with what God had asked him to do. So, saved by faith through grace, just like Jews were saved, so are Gentiles. So Peter is standing his ground. How many is thankful for Peter? James, the half-brother of Jesus, made the judgment call. He responded, therefore, I judge that we should not trouble. Can we say trouble? We should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain, and these are things that are in the law, from things polluted by idols, don't have anything to do with idolatry, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. So these things were in the law, and um, it's God's will that we not be engaged in idolatry or sexual immorality. Who knows that's true? And the strangled things and the blood was very offensive to Jews culturally. This is something you could abide by pain-free, live more healthy anyway. And then he said this, verse 21, For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. If you guys are so excited about the Torah, go to synagogue every Sabbath and listen to it, you know. So they weren't preaching against the Torah. It's just Gentiles do not have to become Jews. We're not saved by keeping the law. We can't. You read all these, there's no way one person can keep them all. You just can't. But Christ did. He fulfilled the law. And he said all the law and the prophets hang on two commands. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he raised the level of that second one by saying, as I have loved you, so love you one another. He gave a new commandment. He gave about 70 commands that we're to live by, and they are not burdensome. They will heal your relationships. They will promote you in your employment. They will release you into ministry, and they will strengthen your testimony. That's the words of Jesus. Take what he had to say seriously. Don't blow them off. So this was an amazing thing. But you know what? This thing's still going on today. There's a bunch of guys on YouTube preaching you got to keep the Torah. You have to keep the Torah. No offense, Josh, but they're growing really long beards to prove their point. 
I saw a bearded guy yesterday ask, do you need a napkin? He says, no, I have a beard. And I thought, you know, I thought I needed napkins because I had a beard. I didn't know. I didn't have to have one because I do. But today I'm going to speak on the opposite topic. Beware of Gentilizing. Can we say Gentilizing? This is the reverse extreme. It didn't happen overnight, but gradually it happened where Gentiles began to dominate the church and began to squeeze out all shreds of Jewishness. And if there was any shred of Jewishness, they did it as their replacement, teaching the church had replaced Israel. Now, while this event in Acts 15 was a wonderful day for all non-Jewish believers, can all the Gentiles say hallelujah? Hallelujah. These issues had to be addressed often by church leaders. This letter wasn't a cure-all. These guys were relentless. They just kept right on bothering the churches to the point Paul wrote a couple letters to address the issue. And maybe out of fatigue of dealing with them, the Gentiles just began to think like Gentiles and began to try to expunge Jews from their midst by converting them to being Gentiles. This was, no doubt, because of misunderstanding and the prejudices of those attempting to divide believers, possibly to hinder the church's evangelistic progress. In one of his letters, Paul said, I think there's people in our midst that are spies wanting to spy out our liberty. They're troubling us. So they always had to deal with this. Addressing this problem, Paul wrote some great things about our freedom in Christ through his finished work. I just want to look at two verses, Colossians 2.13 and 14. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that was us, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Can we say all? all? Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. So he forgave us all our transgressions, and then the law that proves we were sinners, the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is what Jesus did for us. He was the Word of God made flesh. He was the Torah in human form. He was the Torah made flesh, and He was nailed to the cross, and so doing, put an end to the laws of Moses for Gentile believers. We live under the commands of Christ. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything I commanded. Didn't say Moses commanded. In fact, in one place, he said, Moses said this, but I say this. So, the law... John 1 says, came through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus. And he, the blessing of this law, as perfect as it is, is it revealed our imperfection. It proved that we were sinners in need of a Savior. And when we realize that, we turn to him in faith and find the salvation that is given to us freely by grace through faith, or faith through 
grace. While truths like this should have been sufficient, as time went by, rather than standing, can we say stand? Rather than standing in the grace that sets us all free, certain Gentile church leaders began teaching that the church had replaced Israel and that all Jewish believers should renounce their culture and ethnicity, thus promoting Gentilizing. The opposite, extreme opposite of what happened in Acts 15 began to occur. And it was a tragedy, as you'll see in a few minutes. As a result, the opposite of Acts 15 occurred and harmed the church that was both Jew and Gentile. Who knows that God loves diversity? He just does. Sameness breeds lameness. If your family tree doesn't have any branches, you got some problems. This, I believe, opened the door to all kinds, let's say it together, chaos. One of the uh, several church heroes, you'll be appalled at what they said, Justin Martyr was from the city where they were first called Christians. He was a Gentile believer from Antioch of Syria. He said this, the Jews had been ran out of the, out of the land of Israel. At 70 AD, horrible things happened. He said, Christians, not the Jews, shall inherit the Holy Land. Just kind of disregard them from being returned to the land. Disregard all the Old Testament prophecies that said, if they will repent and turn to me, I'll restore them to their land. You want to uh, explore something interesting, check out the history of modern-day Israel. I mean, it's an amazing story of God's miraculous hand in answering their prayers and fulfilling prophecies that he gave to their forefathers. John Chrysostom, who was from Antioch of Turkey, one of the first cities Paul and Barnabas went to on their missionary journey into what's called uh, Turkey today. He said, it is because you killed Christ that there is now no restoration, no mercy, and no defense for you. He's talking to the Jews. Now, pardon my French, but how dumb can you get and still breathe? He lived in the... He lived a long time. No, he didn't. He lived 58 years, right? He didn't live a long time. But he lived in the 4th century and the beginning of the 5th century. So hundreds of years after the crucifixion of Jesus, he's holding Jews responsible for doing that. Now, is that fair? Well, they said, let his blood be on us and our children at his crucifixion. Was that all the Jews that did that? Was not the church Jewish at first? The Bible says the Gentiles are branches, that, the branch that God grafted in to the vine of Israel. And we're not to boast about our place in the kingdom of God, lest God remove us too. Romans 1 says he's allowed them to become blinded so that we might be blessed. And if their blindness has brought blessing to the Gentiles, what will seem be but life from the dead? You want to talk about worldwide revival. Let Jews begin to see Jesus as their Messiah. And I've got good news for you today. In the last 50 years, something's happening. There's now like 200 congregations that worship Yeshua as their Messiah in Israel. 
We give the Lord a hand for that. He is opening their eyes. But they began to push the theory. Out of this came the theory, you cannot be Jewish and be a Christian. Now, the, the Judaism guys were really happy with this. So if a Jew became a Christian, they suffered by their families disowning them at the advice of their rabbis. In fact, in their synagogues was this blessing, this ending um, liturgy that sometimes they would read that if you were a Christian, you would have to leave because you'd be speaking a curse on yourself. So this was kind of happening on both sides. But I hold Christians most responsible. Augustine, the great hero of doctrines, said the Jews have been cast off by God. You know, he should have read his Bible a little bit more. In his book, The Destruction of the European Jews, Raoul Hilberg said, almost every anti-Semitic law and Nazi legislation came from laws previously passed by church councils and synods throughout the centuries. Now keep in mind, Hitler was not a Christian in any way, shape, or form. He was a follower of the teachings of Nietzsche. He believed in evolution. He believed in some very popular things that are taught in our universities today. He believed that, and he just followed it to its logical conclusion, that everything's evolving into a higher state, and the Aryans are the super race. Here's what some of the church councils did. In 325 AD, where they canonized the scripture, look what else they did. They branded Jews as an odious people. Council of Nicaea. 535 AD, the Synod of Clement forbids Jews from holding public office. By this time, the Roman Empire had kind of hijacked Christianity, and the church was now a dominant force in the world ruled by the Roman Empire, and so they made it illegal for Jews to hold public office. In 1215, now, you know, almost 700 years later, the Fourth Lateran Council declares that all Jews must wear yellow badges. Oh, my goodness, the Gestapo didn't create that one. 1267, the Synod of Breslau requires all Jews to live in ghettos, separated from society. In 1290, church crusaders, remember the Crusades? They went to the Holy Land to conquer it. A lot of people don't know this. They killed Jews all the way across Europe till they got to Israel. Everywhere they found Jews, they killed them by the thousands, tens of thousands. In 1394, Jews were expelled from their homes in England. And guess what? Anything they left behind was stolen from them by church people. 1478, the Spanish Inquisition begins, resulting in robbing, torturing, executing, and expelling Jews from their homes in Spain. And they didn't stop there. Many of them escaped and came to the New World. They followed them over here, hunting them down. In 1492, Jews were expelled from their homes in France. If they left anything behind, it was either destroyed or stolen. The church was involved in this, started this. And it all goes back to them hardening their hearts towards our roots and believing you could not be saved if you were a Jew. What a tragedy. Thank God for the Reformation. If Martin Luther hadn't made his discovery, there would have been no counter-reformation. So it was good for the Catholic Church as well as the Reformed churches. He got real excited about 
his discovery of our being justified by faith and went, took the message to the Jews and they rejected him. They're not ready to embrace anything to do with Christianity because they've been persecuted for centuries. So what did he do? He hardened his heart against them and said some really bad stuff and never repented. There's no record of him ever apologizing for this. Look at some of this. He said their synagogue should be set on fire and spread over with dirt. Their homes should be broken down and destroyed. Passport and travel privileges should be forbidden to all Jews. If we're afraid they might harm us, then let us do what other countries have done and drive them out of our country for all time. While many were very much harmed as a result of this very bad replacement theology, it could have been prevented by a better understanding of the New Testament. Right in the text that shouted at Martin Luther, that brought him to his fresh understanding, was the Jews. Look at this, Romans 16, 16, and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to, every, to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the gospel is to the Jew first. He saw that and thought, well, the gospel came to them first, and now it's our baby. No, this is a mandate for all time. You take the gospel somewhere, look for the Jews, and bring the gospel to them. If they don't receive it, don't persecute them. You're just sowing seeds. Forced conversion is not conversion anyway, right? What a tragedy. Beware of Gentilizing. Now you may think, what does this have to do with me? I, I come from a long line of heathens. You can't blame my people for this mess. So let's say it together on the count of three. One, two, three. What does it have to do with me? Well, we may not Gentilize people, but we may demonize them. By that word, I don't mean you're calling people devils, but because you've got an issue with them, you put them in a category of unacceptable, worthy of rejection, worthy of, of my avoidance, stay away from those kind of people, demonizing people. You do this too much, you'll find yourself all alone. I was part of a very elite denomination. We're the only ones going to heaven. They became so elite, they don't hardly have anything to do with each other except at their big meetings. Beware of demonizing. So in conclusion, let's look back at our verses that we looked at. Paul wrote, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it 
to the cross. So this is a wonderful thing. Can I get an amen? Now, let's bring it home. In our hearts can be issues that if you were to write them down, they might be, a, they may, they might be some handwriting against somebody. Maybe someone has wounded you deeply. Somebody has hurt you, offended you, treated you badly, unjustly. Jesus died for their sins. What are you doing holding that in your heart? If the law, as perfect as it is, was nailed to the cross, you know in our imperfections, our accusations we have towards other people are not perfect. We're not God, right? So our perspectives of others can be tainted by unhealed hurts, wounds, offenses. I think you got the point. We're going to uh, wrap the sermon up with the time of adoration and start by singing, Come to the Altar. And I'm just going to encourage you to find a place to pray, either at your seat or you can actually come to the altar. I'm going to go to the altar and search my heart to see if I have an issue with anyone. And if I do, why haven't I done what Jesus said? He said, when you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember you have an ought against someone, don't offer your offering. Go and be reconciled to your brother, and you know he means sisters as well, and then come offer your offering. Some of us have been offering offerings when we've got ought against somebody. Let's get a backbone and obey Jesus. Amen? This is robbing us of ministry opportunities, this is robbing us of effectiveness. This is robbing us of fruitfulness. And this is robbing us of peace of mind, maybe even keeping us awake at night or waking us up early in the morning. All the little girls across the nation are singing a song that I wish I could sing. Let it go, let it go, let it go. I've tried, but I can't. Maybe it's because you can't, because you've got to do something first. Go to the person. I did, and it didn't turn out right. Well, in Acts eight, in uh, Matthew 18, Christ gives another step. Take one or two witnesses. Go to, the first time, go to them alone. Don't go to anybody else. Many times in Texas, when we're offended, we go to everybody but the person that offended us. You know what that is? That's chicken. We're being chickens. The righteous are bold as a lion. Get a backbone and say, hey, you hurt me. We got to talk. We're not right. We're grieving the Holy Spirit. Let's get this right. Having pet grudges, that's a form of godliness, but it's not true godliness. Who wants real, the real thing and not just some kind of religious deal? We've seen how the church fell into error, probably because of grudges against Jews. Anti-Semitism, all of that is re related to somebody's grudge and all the harm that it causes. Do you want your children to be free? Or you want them bound up too? What kind of model, model example are we modeling for our children? The handwriting of requirement against us was nailed to the cross. 
and we are risen with Christ. He saved us, not so that we could hold on to handwriting of requirements against other people. Let it go. Well, I have confronted them and it didn't work. Well, then take somebody with you, somebody that can be neutral, not somebody that's built a case, somebody that you've talked to and got them all on your side. They can't be neutral. Or somebody that takes up offenses against others and get yourself free. Amen? So beware of demonizing. Let's pray. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that has hurt someone and we know it, help us to get a backbone and go and be reconciled. And Lord, if someone has hurt us, may we not wait around for years before things are right. Lord, we've suffered long enough. Help us to stand up like a man and woman of God and go to that person and say, you hurt me. And if it doesn't work, Lord, help us to go with someone who's reasonable for the sake of reconciliation, for the sake of enjoying the benefits of the gospel, for the sake of not committing the errors that have been committed for centuries by the church. In Jesus' name. Let this house be a house of peace and reconciliation and harmony where there's nothing faked, that we're genuine people, that we genuinely love one another. In Jesus' name. Worship the Lord some more. Communion is available at four places around the auditorium. The altar is open. You can kneel at your seat if you like. Oh.